It's like it's never done. Like it's not an on-off switch, right? You're not accessible or not accessible. So I think also at the company level, at a executive level and authority level in, in organization, telling we need to reach compliance because, well, you need to reach compliance as a company, right, essentially. But then we need to do more work in terms of inclusivity and accessibility and caring for more users or caring for the same users but better. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Developer Experience, a podcast by Algolia. We chat with guests who build products for developers about their developer experience strategy, what it means for them, why it's important, and so on. I'm Sarah Dayan, and I am joined by my co-host, Brian Robinson. How is it going, Brian? It's going well, Sarah. Thanks for having me as a co-host, as always. So on today's episode, we are going to talk about accessibility and its implications when it comes to developer experience. Can developer experience and user experience cohabitate without hurting each other? Can they help each other out? What are the things that you want to watch out for? And are we giving as much attention to accessibility as we are to developer experience? So to discuss this important topic, we are floored to have Kitty Girodel with us today. Kitty is a front-end developer and accessibility specialist who is currently leading the front-end team at Gorillas. Before this, they have led the front-end team to rebuild the web platform at N26 with a strong focus on accessibility. But aside from this, you might already know Kitty for the massive contribution to the SaaS, and I'm talking about a CSS precompiler, not the software as a service. So SaaS ecosystem, their accessibility-focused projects such as the Ali Dialog open source library, their Ali Advent calendar, and the many high-quality blog posts about accessibility, inclusion, and workplace safety on their blog. Hey, Kitty. Hello. Hey, thank you for having me. Very nice to be with you today. Yeah, we're really happy to have you on. Uh, uh, this is a really interesting topic, a really deep topic. I'm really excited to get started. So when we talk about accessibility, let's cut right to the chase. There's still a bias. Every time you see a conversation online or you talk about it with people, even experienced people, there's still a bias that this is about catering to users with specific disabilities like physical, cognitive impairments. And while it does cover those, accessibility as I understand it is mostly about inclusion and catering to as many people and situations as possible. So I'd love to know, can you tell us more on what accessibility is about and why it matters? That is an interesting and surprisingly difficult first question, actually. I think there's essentially two sort of parts to this answer. At the core, accessibility is a discipline, if you will, to ensure that everyone can use a service, a product, you name it, regardless of whether they have any sort of disability, as you mentioned, whether it's cognitive, auditive, visual, and so on. And over the years, we had a lot of the discourse around accessibility shifting towards accessibility benefits everyone. And it has been somewhat necessary because accessibility has a tendency to be under-prioritized in companies. So essentially to push it and have a buy-in, we tend to say, you know, it benefits everyone. So it is not about a minority of users. Everyone gets to benefit from it, right? And 
that is true to, to a certain extent, as in, I mean, better software quality benefits everyone. This is, you know, this goes without saying. I think there is a bit of a complexity in, in that discourse though, which is that it tends to decenter disabled people from the accessibility topic, which is a problem. The more we exclusively push that accessibility is for everyone, um, argument or line, if you will, the less we sort of focus our effort around the people who need to benefit from the discipline, right? So disabled people. So uh, that's already an interesting sort of interesting topic to have because focusing solely on disabled people, unfortunately, doesn't get the buy-in it needs and it deserves. Most companies, accessibility is a little forgotten or completely forgotten in, unfortunately, too many, too many companies. And yeah, and so the way to push it is essentially like, hey, this is better. Um, this is more inclusive. This is uh, better for our audience. This will make sure we have more customers, we have more prospects, right? We need to remember for who would do that at the core of it, right? I think that centering argument is so important. And it's, it's such an interesting thing to think about because we love buzzwords. And so like accessibility was a buzzword for a little bit, but I think that we we centered around things that were like very technical, like, oh, we need to make sure it's good for screen readers. It's It's less about making sure everyone has access to it. I wonder if there's something to be said about using, it's terrible to say, like the, the buzzwordiness of inclusion right now. Like that's a thing that, that a lot of companies are paying a lot of service to, maybe just in text and in what they say. But I wonder if, if there's a, a way to utilize that and bring that into the conversation in a broader scope to make these other things happen as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, ultimately, it's accessibility and, and diversity and inclusion, they are related topics, right? Diversity and inclusion is not about bringing more women into the workplace, you know, especially more white women, which is usually how it's being considered by um, executive suites. So hiring disabled people, hiring people of color, hiring trans people, and so on and so forth, this all comes into into diversity and inclusion and having the structures to retain them, not just hiring, but making sure they can stay and thrive, right? And often, uh, more often than not, unfortunately, disabled people are kind of forgotten from diversity and inclusion topics. We need both. We need both. We need the, the conversation to be uh, to be sort of encompassing of both topics, right? We can't just talk about accessibility without bringing the fact that it is we build more inclusive services and product and therefore will improve the bottom line, right? And we also shouldn't talk about diversity and inclusion without considering the accessibility aspect of it and, you know, hiring and, and retaining and caring for disabled, disabled users, disabled employees and so on, right? So those topics need to be way more interlocked than they are currently. I think we see progress in that aspect, though. I think in the tech industry, you see more... You see more accessibility advocates that are also very much invested in uh, workplace diversity, um, workplace safety, and the opposite, right? You also see a lot of initiatives that started as very much, we're a very white male-centric company, and we need to diversify it because bad press or whatever, right? And then you see those initiatives sort of like transforming into making also more accessible product, more accessible service in the long run. So yeah, it's interesting to, to see the sort of the connection between the two, the two topics. Yeah, I think this is so important that you mentioned that this argument of, yeah, accessibility is for everyone. While it's true, it kind of moves the conversation to, hey, we love everybody and uh, like the, the experience of everybody is important. But at the center of like the people suffering right now for from the web not being accessible, first and foremost, it's not everybody. 
So yes, ultimately, yeah, the, the bottom line gets better and everybody feels better and everybody has a better experience out of accessibility efforts. But we need to really remember that when we say that we kind of erase the like the experience of really specific people that for a long time have been totally forgotten, totally outside of the conversation because we could not care less. And personally, the way I see accessibility is also like taking a step back and realizing that every single aspect will like impact people and also realizing that there are many different people than you using the internet. So like when you're doing things like you're catering to many devices, so it's not only like your huge screen, it could also be a super small screen or a slower computer or slower phone, someone who has a really bad internet connection, someone who is older, someone who uh, has a hard time like moving or like clicking on your little label or your little tag, people who are less, maybe have less internet literacy, you know, and deserve to get around your application without feeling anxiety. And so ultimately, yes, it's about inclusion, but it's also about owning up to what you're saying. Because when you see companies claiming, oh, we are user focused, we're user obsessed, right? Ultimately, accessibility and we're talking about developer experience. It's all about user experience, uh, knowing your users and, and really caring for the experience of your users, whomever they are, and especially and including the people that might be a minority, but deserve to have a great experience on the internet. And, and like more than, sorry, and more, more than a great experience just to begin with an experience at all, which is, you know, not even the case in so many websites, so many services, so many products, right? Like we're not even talking about going the extra mile. We're going, we're talking about taking the fucking road to begin with, you know? So um, we, so, so this podcast is around developer experience and often when When you talk about developer experience, I've seen some discourse that UX and DX are, can be mutually exclusive. Oh, you're, everybody's focusing on DX and like, definitely that's a huge buzzword now. Like there would not be this podcast if it wasn't. You're all focusing on, on developer experience. What about user experience? And that if you're catering too much for developers and their comfort, then you're not catering as much for user experience. And there are concrete examples. The build size is increasing or this, or you're using this framework that makes your life better, but is it better for your users? Uh, maybe, maybe not. And so a term that I've seen a lot is developer convenience. Like, oh yeah, this is a lot more convenient for developers. So I'd love to know if in, in your opinion, especially because you worked on those open source projects around accessibility, Do you think that UX and DX can work together? And if they are, and I'm sure they are, what are the, the traps that we need to avoid when we're trying to conciliate the, the two? I think one thing that comes to mind, the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about modern tooling, you know, like JavaScript framework, you name it, right? Hurting accessibility. One thing that I recall reading on, on Twitter was it's mostly that they made a lot of things significantly easier and more approachable, including interface design, interface building, right? And 
if you go back 10 years or 15 years, building, you know, uh, an interactive component, visual component uh, could could be more complicated, right? It was, it was more difficult. Um, you had more inconsistencies. It was sort of the view and the logic were less tied together. So uh, those components were more difficult to build, more time-consuming to, to build, more costly to build. So people would tend to maybe go more onto the, the existing solution, right? And... I think one thing that we've seen with with the with the modern tooling and uh, everything that, that encapsulated with it is it's significantly easier to build those sort of components, right? Um, it's significantly uh, faster, and, and and because it is, people do build sort of all those those UI components they shouldn't be building in the first place because they don't necessarily have the the experience or the expertise to to see okay, but there's more than just me clicking clicking around on my component and everything works on, on my in my browser, on my laptop, on that internet connection and, and so on and so forth, right? And so it's it's not so much that modern tooling is hurting accessibility, is that more people are building more things and then with that we the the accessibility knowledge didn't scale at the same at the same speed, right? So we end up making things way more convenient for everyone to contribute to the web, but we also don't train them in how to do that responsibly. And there is a lot to be said about teaching accessibility or the lack of accessibility teaching in boot camps and studies and any sort of education around web development. So, but I, I think so down the line that means user experience and developer experience can both work at the same time, right? And it's it's gonna depend a lot on the effort and the knowledge that's put into it. So I think someone or a team that's experienced in inclusive design, accessibility, and building robust components will have no problem having a great developer experience and building great software at the end, right, for the user. But if you have someone that has sort of less knowledge um, for any reason around what does it mean to build a UI for any sort of people, including people who use different assistive technologies? They will be able to build components just the same way with thanks to all those tools, but they don't really have it. They don't really have the knowledge to back it up. Right? So the the way we can make things easier uh, or like pad the gap, let's say, I think there will be we need more educational content on accessible work in general, right? And at every stage of the way, so in the design phase, in the implementation phase, in the testing phase, and including product managers and so on into the discussion. So it's not one person's responsibility. Um, and on the other way, I think, well, in my experience, open sourcing accessible solution or just sharing accessible solution, it doesn't have to be just code, can be also articles, blog posts, podcasts, is also a good way to sort of to bring accessibility to the, to the front uh, stage and to tell people, hey, uh, this is how you can do this this thing that you you might have considered building from the ground up. This is how you can do it in an inclusive way, in an accessible way. I wonder if there if there's also something around, like I feel like user experience, and this is coming from like I've got years in in the user experience world, is often honestly viewed as an afterthought. Is often you know the design teams that really focus on UX have to really push for that, and they're pushing specifically for this kind of one flavor of UX, which is the privileged flavor of UX. But I, like, I've often, like, when, I, when I've gone to conferences and talked with people, like, I kind of push this idea of like radical empathy, that user experience should be as empathetic as possible. I feel like when we're talking about DX as well, we need to be thinking about that too, because I'm a developer and I work on an incredibly powerful MacBook Pro. And I remember 
a decade ago working on an incredibly non-powerful, like barely functioning five-year-old, it was still like a Mac. So like, hey, I'm still privileged in that way. But like, it was an incredibly old computer and it was painful to do everything. And so I I wonder if there's, if we forget and we lose that empathy and there's a lot of technical education that needs to happen. There's a lot of important things that uh, having a button as a div is a problem. Like we can hopefully all agree with that. There's a lot of things we can do to teach that, but how do we teach the softer side of it? Like how do we pull in that focus on empathy and make everyone think before they build, I guess. Like we we say think before you speak, think before you build. But like how do we center that, I guess? How do we bring more empathy into the world is a question that is just pretty difficult on its own, as I've read once. I don't know how to reach out to people who think everyone else is a non-playable character in their life, you know. Ultimately, there's uh, the topic of empathy is, is not one we can solve across a 45 minutes podcast. I think you touched on an interesting point here, which is how do we uh, encourage people when they build stuff to think about more than just their own perspective, their own experience. And I think one thing we need to be careful of is not to discourage people from building either. The reason we're all there is because the web is a very approachable platform. Um, the, our jobs are approachable. We don't need to do 10 years of studies to get to where we are in, in life, which is incredibly uh, lucky and privileged. But the reason the web is where it is today, both good and bad, is because it's open, right? People get to just open the text editor and, you know, play around, build stuff and put a web page online. And this is good. This is a good part. We we shouldn't sort of scare people into doing that because we got, otherwise we're going to lose that and we're going to have people that are scared to get into web development when they shouldn't, right? Or hopefully they, they, hopefully they shouldn't. <laughs> There's definitely a balance to find between telling people, hey, that at school you want to build something? Let's think this through. Let, let's discuss what needs to be done, right? But also not scare them into you've done 10% of the job and there's so much that is that you haven't considered that you that you've already broken uh, that were, that was working natively or things like this right so it's a little tricky and honestly I'm not sure how to do that on at the industry level I know how to do that in a company level because when you have a team it's significantly easier to manage what's going on because you have a small scope you have a small sphere of influence and you can sort of keep things under control when you have an entire industry with million of professionals you know how do you do education at that scale is and as, as i said without gatekeeping essentially without gatekeeping the industry and saying well you need to know all of this before you get started because we don't want that yeah this is definitely a, a tricky and tricky problem to solve for sure how do you do that at the company level then i like to think that maybe there are some development team leaders listening to the podcast how can they start pushing that into into their companies the best thing i've found is to hire people who care I got really lucky because I joined Gorillas as uh, one of the, f- the first free engineers and I joined N26 as the first web engineer. In both companies, I was uh, I was hired to hire. So I was hired to build a team and to like essentially build the platform and carry things, or, like get them started, right? get, a, get them off the ground. I mean, it made it, it, made, made it significantly easier for me to have an impact there, for sure. But ultimately, the thing that had the biggest impact in terms of the activity of the product I've built over the last few years has been hiring and encouraging people to care. One thing that we've done is during the the technical interview, talking about accessibility, asking what they think it means, asking if they had any experience, asking if they understand it. And now we even, at Gorillaz, we even pushed it earlier. 
So I'll, I'll keep it brief here, but what, the way we do hiring is we, we don't ask for a CV, we don't ask for a resume, we ask people to fill a form, six questions, one on feature development, one on HTML, one on CSS, one on JavaScript, one on accessibility, one on code review. We don't even see their name. We see nothing from them. We only see the form. And one of the questions is accessibility, and we filter hard on this. So if people don't know what it is or keep it very generic, then we just decline the candidate. And this helped a lot finding people who know at least a bit. So we don't expect to hire only experts, right? It's, it's just not a thing. And we also don't need a team of experts. But we, we want people to at least have a common understanding of what it means, know sort of the basics, um, know how to ask the right question, know where to, to do some research. The nice side effect of this is that it's usually people who are pretty empathetic. It's usually people who can think of others and uh, people who can work very well in a team, people who care about documenting their work. It's kind of a, a very nice sort of filter question. The main goal is we want to make sure people care about activity and know about it. And the, the super nice side effect of that this is that you get a lot of value, orbital value out of this question alone. And that's really what has been the most effective, honestly, because convincing people, convincing your coworker that they have to care rarely works. I mean, ultimately, people care about what people care, right? Like, you can't change them, and you can have conversation, and hopefully you can also you know, lead them to do their own research and understand why it matters. But, you know, if someone doesn't really care, there's no good reason for you to magically change their, their world perspective, right? So making sure that you get to work with people who care to begin with is a good way to then have productive and fruitful discussion as a team where you can say, we have a big feature coming up. Let's think about activity right now um, before we even get started. What do we need to think of, right? Without having to start the whole thing by convincing people around you that they're not the center, they're not the only one. The way I look at things is that I feel that our industry, and I'm like not software necessarily, but the web in software, is kind of it's like teenage phase, you know, we're, we're barely out of kindergarten, you know, we're still in, in, in those teenage years and we're getting more and more maturity, but we're definitely not there yet. And the only way things are going to, to evolve is little by little, piece by piece. The only way the status quo is going away is going to be block by block with the, like, the care and effort of people who give a shit about it. To go back quickly on the topic of like tools and stuff, the reason why I asked this question earlier was that to me it feels like there are a lot of tools that help today. So you built a alley dialogue and it helps a lot because now I don't have to build one. And I can install an ESLint plugin, you know, I, I have my Firefox tab. and But... At some point, yes, it helps, but ultimately it can make me feel that once those tools say green, I'm good. It's done. The accessibility work is out of my way. And that, you know, my only concern should be about removing those buggy warnings from ESLint and it should stop complaining. While accessibility just like it just like anything that like it is a responsibility it is a concern it is a pillar of what we're doing it's not just oh remove the bugs uh remove the warnings make sure it compiles no it is central and there is no end to it. It's a continuum. It's something that will you will keep on having to audit. And no, it's not something where you should have all green, all 100%. Yeah, pat yourself on the back. Uh, make your leadership happy that they won't be called out on that. It's something that you will have to care for 
during the entire lifetime of your project, right? So yeah, that's uh, to to me. And, and when when you mention like, how do you make sure that people care? Like, yes, you don't want to have to say, hey, you can't put anything out there until it's perfect because there's no su such thing. However, like to have really really good uh, advocacy inside of a company, but also inside the community, making sure that, yes, people can put something out there, but they get feedback, that, that feedback can be candid yet empathetic, and make sure that, I would say, accessibility kind of becomes cool in a way, you know? Like, it, I, I, it tends to, like, to me, it feels like accessibility is still seen as that thing that you have to do, that kind of a drag. But ultimately, there are also... If you try looking at what developers care for and care about, a lot of them care about doing good work. Nobody wants to do a crappy job. Maybe some people do, but most of the time people you work with want to do a great job and they want their code to be great. They want to make something great. Um, accessibility should be a part of that. Like You should not consider that your job is done and that what you put out there is great if it's not accessible. Uh, you were mentioning uh, UI and UX, Brian, earlier. And there are a lot of developers, UI developers, who care about it, but they really don't know what great UI and UX is. It's not just that it looks good. And we're slowly getting out of that. Like, uh, Kitty, I know you've been working for like uh, 10 years or so. So you remember the flash years. And we were all about, wow, like we... I want my, you know, my website to be flashy and making like thunderbolts and stuff like that. And we got out of that. Like <laughs> we matured our way out of that and we're making interfaces that are catering like the overall of interfacing that it's getting better. It's not there yet. It's far from it, but it's getting better, which is still a hint that people are starting to care that, yeah, well, maybe they showed this to uh, their grandfather or they showed it like somebody called them out and they actually cared. Ultimately, I'm wondering if it's not about also making sure that accessibility is while still being presented for what it is and who it caters for first and foremost, but also making sure that it becomes an inherent part of the training, just like building a responsive website. There's no way you're building something unresponsive today and you're going to get out, like you're not gonna get away with it. There's no way you should get away with a non-accessible website. There's one thing I wanted to come back to, which is we have tools and we start having more and more testing tools for accessibility, you know? We have Axe, which is an absolutely fantastic testing suite. We have some integration with ESLint, I think most major frameworks now, or like uh, developer environments now, have built-in HTML accessibility, JSX sort of linting, which is great. And you are absolutely right. We can't say, well, there's no error. Boom, we're good to go, right? So this, we need to make it clear or clearer, is that there's only so much that we can automate in terms of excellence testing. I think this is not quite understood or acknowledged yet as at an industry level. Too often, as you mentioned, people are like, well, you know, I run it through this linter, this linter, which is great that they do in the first place, fantastic. But we need to, to make people understand that this should be the minimum, right? And then there's more that they need to essentially educate themselves about and teach themselves or learn about and then test a bit more manually or test with or, or ask people, ask other users, you know, other people to try it, right? So 
this is getting better. I got feeling it also it might also be the thought bubble, <laughs> but I feel like it's getting better. I feel like first of all because automation is more more present overall, people at least learn that it's a thing, and then we need to just sort of get the extra step, which is this is cool, you're doing it, and this is great. There's no more warnings, no more errors, but this is just the part of it. You need to understand a bit more. And then this is how people can understand that there's the the WCAG um, standards, right? That um, there's a lot of content they can read on. To a certain extent, you have the exact same discussion at the compliance level, which is uh, which is usually something we have in companies. Like this is great that you finally are compliant. Uh, Web Content Access Guide 2.1 AA, amazing, fantastic, good job. But uh, there is. There's more work to do. There's always more work to do, as you mentioned, Sarah. It's like it's never done. Like it's not an on-off switch, right? You're not accessible or not accessible. So I think also at the company level, at the executive level, and authority level in, in, in organization, telling we need to reach compliance because well, you, you need to reach compliance as a company, right? Essentially, but then we need to do more work in terms of inclusivity and accessibility and caring for more users or caring for the same users, but better. Right? In the US, I believe that there are some regulations uh, if you're doing business online, including for the private sector. It's not only for the public sector. I'm not a US citizen and I have no idea to what extent it is, but do you think that it is? it brings like some positive? Do you have a, an opinion on that? It's not the same in every country. We don't have regulations in like the same kind of regulations in France and probably in Europe although we have some others. So ultimately, once it is a regulation and you can have a fine for that, you have to do it. So there's no way you're not going to do it. So in a way, you know, it can move the needle faster. And in another way, it could say, well, do we have to go to those lengths to get people to do the right thing? So I, I'm interested in your perspective on that. I, I'm not a legal expert on accessibility. I know I, I know the, the big picture, which is essentially, sorry, that in the US, companies are more likely to uh, face a class action lawsuit if they do not provide their service to essentially everyone, uh, disabled people included, of course. And again, please, anyone listening, do not quote me on this because I am not a legal expert on accessibility. But my understanding is that the problem in Europe we have is not so much that we don't have legislation because most countries have some, is that we don't enforce them to begin with, or very little. And also, they are not, in most countries, applicable to the private sector, which essentially means any company that's not working for a government or government-affiliated organization don't really have to really um, care that much about it, or rather they can or they cannot, but they're never going to get a fine for it. So that's a bit of a problem, of course, right? Looking back at N26, so as I mentioned, I, I got hired early on, and we hired a lot of great web engineers and other disciplines to to work on on the new the new platform. And we did a, we did a overall, I would say, um, a good job on accessibility. And then we got the buy-in from leadership three years later when we wanted to launch into the U.S. And, and I have, a, I have a, a recollection of the head of legal in the U.S. calling me in panic and saying, oh, we have to do things about accessibility. What does it mean? What do we have to do? So at the time, so what, what happened is we, we hired a company to do an audit of our web platform. So we audited the sign-up, we audited the website, we audited the web app um, and the support center. We audited everything. And, you know, I mean, the audit came back in 
it was not perfect. Like we had 80 or 90 pages of um, reports with like solutions and suggestions and recommendations and so on. And then for the next few weeks, we sort of wrote a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of Jira tickets and uh, assigned it to different teams who were responsible for different parts and you know, sort of trimmed through the, the bugs and essentially got it resolved, right? So it definitely brought change and very positive change because we always cared about it as, as a team, but we never really had support from executive level or the company or um or sometimes other disciplines right? and then when when we had to, when we launched the us and we sort of had to comply for lack of a better term right this is when a lot of discussions became smoother because we didn't really have to do a convincing part because executive leadership just said we essentially we need to be accessible because otherwise we're going to be in trouble in the us right regulations do help and the same parallel can be can be done with mask mandates and vaccine mandates is like they are tricky to to, to set up right obviously um like if it's not for free it comes with like a, a cost to set up those regulation an emotional cost for some people right but um it makes a difference because people sort of have to comply and then ultimately you have you make an impact on on the group as a whole right so um so that that's certainly something that helps you know now whether <laughs> whether it's it's a healthy way to say it you know it, it's something something else right it's i've always tell, said back in 26 like it's a shame we had to wait for an actual audit for people to to start meaningfully engaging in the discussion right um because it, it you know it was a civil rights before that it didn't it's not when we decided to launch into the us that it became something relevant it was always relevant just people chose not to care so I'd love to, to know, because personally, I tend to find that best practices and good practices even tend to work best when they are documented, they're automated, and also they are regularly advocated that you have people in place who make sure to pass on the knowledge and to pass on the good practices. And so, for example, at Algolia, we are highly concerned with security. That was one of the first big, big hires at Algolia was our uh, current head of security. And it translates into concrete measures. It's not like, oh yeah, we're secure. It's like we have a dedicated security team. We don't, we don't outsource that. We have annual trainings, including leadership has to pass the, the, the training. We have clear processes for using whatever, like new services, new programs. We have like a lot of audits. We have a, a, a lot of compliance standards and stuff like that. The thing is that for some, for many people, they are at the company, they want to do it. They have no idea how to even get started from your experience, because you've done that at uh, N26. How does someone who wants to lay a foundation for being an accessibility driven, maybe not company, but at least maybe web team, how can you get started as a person with great intentions? and who really wants to take some concrete actions. So, you, and you touched on it, a, a, a large part of it is going to be documentation. And that doesn't mean just written documentation. That also means the one you do in code reviews and the one you do informally, side by side, when you pair on a, on a feature, right? So uh, a lot of it is going to be essentially sort of educational content, right? So I'm maybe looking at Gorillas this time because it's it's a little more recent and I got a lot of experience from N26. I joined in January this year and I started working a little bit in December because I was off at that time. And the first thing I did is I wrote a 7,000 word essay on accessibility 
and what it means to do the basics, essentially. And this goes through some key sort of HTML structures, so like document outline, one H1, lang attributes on the HTML um, elements, um, skip links, you know, self-explanatory links, buttons, all links, and so on and so forth, right? semantics and so on. But also it went into how to cater for um, anxiety, people suffering from anxiety, how to involve internalization, how to consider performance as well. So it's like sort of like a um, high-level view of what it means to build like robust and high-quality features, right? And this we reference it all the time. Like, and not just in engineering. It's essentially the go-to sort of document when it comes to anything around accessibility. That's the first thing. Is like you you want to take it down somewhere because you will always have to explain to new people or to people who are getting interested what it means, what how how is it concretized in in day-to-day work, and you don't want to go through it just just uh, in person every time, right? So you want to document as much as you can. It's a living organism, so you want to constantly update. Like it, you can't write it and then expect it to so, you know, stand the test of time. So, so that's, that's important to always work on your documentation um, and empowering people to do so as well. You also don't want to be the person to document accessibility. Right? So you, you want everyone to, be, to feel involved and concerned, right? And uh, you want to tell them if you have a question around accessibility and you, you're not sure how to solve it, Let's pair together, let's find the answer, and then we'll just write the documentation together, or you'll do it on your own if you feel comfortable doing that, right? Getting people into a mindset where they contribute to knowledge base on accessibility and to and more than that, a culture of accessibility, where, you know, we embed it a bit everywhere and they have discussion with designers and with PMs and so on. This is a good way to do it because, and we touched on this earlier, um, it feels less like a chore. It feels less like, oh, you know, I have to make it accessible and I don't know how to do it, right? And it feels more like just, just part of a job, part of what they 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 need to do to, to do it well. And in many cases, what also makes content interesting. Personal opinion here, I've been doing that for 10 years. There's only so many ways to write a button. You know, um, if it wasn't for building accessible interfaces and sometimes complex ones, I think I would have just like burnt out of boredom by now. I think encouraging people to see it as like part of the role, but also something interesting, something that just, you know, it's essentially reaching for high quality is is a good way to do that. And then the second part to that would be try to do the work once and not more. So build accessible components and bake the accessibility in as much as you can. And that goes also for security and that goes also for, for performance. Essentially build robust components, right? Document them, test them, Clarify them, write code comments in there to explain why there's this thing, why this matters, why there's this attribute, this prop, and so on, right? And then just encourage people to obviously to use them, right? But also to challenge new implementations, right? You don't want to re-implement like the, the form field seven, eight, ten times just because it looks different, right? So you want to have a centralized unit. And those new, and this is where we get back to developer experience, the new modern technology also enables componentization way better. Like uh, React is a good example of it. Uh, React is is built around the the, the idea of reusable components. Um, and if you if you build robust components and, and resilient and accessible, then you can just re- essentially reuse them. And you do the work once, and you just, just sort of rip off the benefits everywhere, right? Which is a good way to approach it. 
what you really want to avoid is every new feature, every, every new PR, someone just sort of reinvents the wheel. And then you do the same comment on this where it's like, please just remember this thing, right? And they fix it and then you merge it. And then a week later, someone else come in and do the same thing. You know, yet another button or yet another form or yet another, you name it, right? And, or dialogue or whatever. And you say, well, hold on. We, I had this discussion. This checks the comment from last week, right? So this is time consuming. This is, this is costly just in any sense of the term, in terms of time, in terms of money, in terms of energy, in terms of, um, sort of involvement. So you want to reuse as much as you can quality work that you've built, right? And again, not specific to accessibility, totally, totally the same for any security aspect or any other sort of uh, web discipline like this, right? But that's something that essentially has been driving the initiatives in the last and the last uh, companies. And a good illustration of it was when we did the audits at N26. A lot of the fixes were actually surprisingly easy. You know, uh, we fixed the component and then. We had like 10 pages of audits that, that just went away because it was just the same component that was a problem everywhere, right? And it would have been significantly harder to fix if we had implemented it in every single place, right? Which, you know, goes without saying, but you'd also be surprised uh, how much uh, sort of duplication there is on somewhat critical or core logic, which has an impact on accessibility. So really like building reusable components and making sure of, well, as foolproof as you can, of course, right? But also documented because some part of building accessible component can be tricky. It can be counterintuitive or it can be the result of extensive testing with, you know, screen readers, technologies, you name it, right? You want this knowledge that comes from either you or a blog post or someone's test or whatever to leave like next to the component, right? What you don't want is to lose it somewhere and then someone comes to the component and is like, why is this? you know, change it, and then all of a sudden you broke something that you fixed six months ago. Right? So really documenting, commenting, clarifying everything within the company. And like, it's a general good advice for code quality in my personal opinion. Like, there's no such thing as too many comments. And I, I think uh, this idea of like self-documenting code is absolute garbage. Like, it's just not a thing. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, what, what I'm hearing is a good mix of systems and culture. Uh... Both are necessary. Yeah, for sure. Like, you can't carry it solely, solely from systems because, again, that comes back to people not caring and people not putting the effort when it's needed, people not having the hard conversation when, when they're necessary. Right? But you also can't carry it just on people's goodwill, right? Like, you need to build it as part of the system. You need, you need to like consider it and 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 sort of bake it at every step of the process, right? Um, so it's definitely a, a good a good summary from you, Zara. It's a good mix of culture and system yeah yeah and, and there is this quote from uh, from your blog that i really like which is uh, accessibility is not about doing more work but about doing the right work and like yeah you, you touched on that uh, earlier like if you make accessibility but even tests or security or anything first class citizen then it's like you won't have to painstakingly retrofit it into your work which is what you think is hard and like Yes, uh, like it is work, it is knowledge, it is expertise, uh, it is uh, like mastery, but it's not more work, it's just the right way of doing work. And yes, like if you build your house with matches, it's gonna be harder to make it robust later on. Definitely, it's not like, but still, uh, like try, try to, uh, to learn things, uh, try to to get better and accessibility, being better at accessibility is also being a better front-end developer. Absolutely. 
I think the last thing I've been trying to advocate a bit more recently is that um, accessibility and security should be handled the same in companies. So we we see companies hiring like security teams, and and in some instances it's absolutely justified. Like in many instances, but especially in fintech and you know any sort of um, sensitive uh, payment gateway and so on. Absolutely, I think it's more on the way it's considered and prioritized. Like companies would pay for penetration testing and audits and so on in security all the time, but then you ask for like you know, 5,000 euros to do an audit of a part of your application. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, what a budget, you know, it's it's way too much. Uh, so understanding both topics at the same level, which is essentially software quality with risks and significant problem down the line when done wrong um, is a good way to do this, which also means, and I haven't seen done a lot, um, having companies hiring at least one or two accessibility experts, which are essentially there to do the groundwork and the, the educational work and support teams in their effort and so on, right? And treat it similarly in, in discussions, right? So in terms of priority, in terms of care from the beginning of the project, things like threat modeling is a great tool, is a great security tool to make sure you're designing your application correctly, right? And I think accessibility modeling is also a good way to approach a new feature or a new project and, you know, think about it first before getting into it and then having to, as you mentioned, retrofit it and like, pay huge costs into essentially fixing what has been designed poorly to begin with, right? So we're touching to the end of this show, and uh, I'd love to, to ask you the traditional question of, uh, of the podcast, uh, if you can make it maybe a one-liner, but how would you define grade DX and what is your personal level of expectations? Junior-friendly. For me, that's all that. Is. If I've learned anything from the N26 uh, experience, um, I hired 25 web engineers back then across four years, and we hired countless juniors. It needs to be junior-friendly. Like, it needs to be sort of you enter the industry and you you enter the system and you know what's going on. Like, for me, this is this. I love this. Where can people go to find you online? Uh, so on Twitter, and TTGODEL, or on my website, which is also the same. Um, and then I'm also on GitHub and so on, but, you know, it, it's, it's not the way I post the most. Brian, where can people go to find you online? Oh, well, you know, you can find me on Twitter at brob, B-R-O-B, or, you know, the Algolia official account is where I'm at some as well these days. All right. And you can find me on frontstuff underscore IO, which is officially the worst handle on Twitter. Uh, and you can find my work at saradayant.com. Kitty, thank you so much for chatting with us today. This was a really great conversation. I really loved it. Thank you, Brian, for co-hosting with me today. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this, the, this new episode that you learn new things that you want to become the accessibility master, but also train more people at your company to care and to realize that accessibility is important and is the core, it's at least at the core of your discipline. Uh, thanks a lot uh, for following developer experience and stay tuned for the next episode. This was Developer Experience, a podcast brought to you by Algolia. You can find this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Overcast, everywhere. If you want to know more about Algolia, check us out on algolia.com and we are at Algolia on Twitter.